into Out of Obscurity. We have a scheduled digression here talking about NPR's Tiny Desks. I have with me, as before, DJ Keep Rumi with his daughter, DJ Karev. Uh, say hi, everybody. Hi. Hey. hey. <laughs> so uh, I want to start with our, our special guest, our, our first time appearance uh, here, uh, DJ Karev, as a certified young person. I'd like mm-hmm. to compare notes with, uh, I interviewed my, my teenage cousins some time back about how they listen to music, and I wonder if uh, wonder if maybe because they're boys, they get exposed to new music primarily almost through video games today, and I hope that's not the case with you. Can you tell me a little bit about what music you like and how you listen to it? So, I listen to a lot of what my dad tells me to listen to, or what he's played for me when I was like three or four. So, what's funny is I can never, even if I discover a new band, there's very little I can bring to him that he won't be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. So, you know, then there's very little I haven't been exposed to even a little bit. So it usually ends up being a decision of me being like, oh, I remember that band from when I was like five. My dad tried to get me to listen to that I hated. I'm going to try to listen to that today. You know, so I think uh-huh. I have this like general knowledge of most music that I'll just like decide what I'm going to listen to. <laughs> That's cool. You have the bravery to revisit things that you didn't like when maybe maybe some kids are at five or not quite ready for highly intellectual yeah. art rock, <laughs> for example. Uh, the Needle Drop on YouTube, these, this album review. Okay. Guy, critic. I don't know if I necessarily discover people from him so much. The main person I discovered, he had a review of a... Phoebe Bridgers record and I love Phoebe Bridgers now so yeah that was a discovery there but for him I usually don't discover new artists because I don't really like a lot of it he'll give this like heavy metal rock group a 10 on his review and I'll hate it so I don't necessarily take music advice much I just like the videos but and I go on Amazon music they have like a my soundtrack thing I'll discover new artists there Okay. Or just random stuff my friends listen to. They got me into Harry Styles, which I'm still disappointed in myself about. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that. Uh, Is is Amazon your primary listening uh, platform, or? uh... Yeah, I listen to a lot of like little people, little artists on YouTube sometimes, but mainly just Amazon Music because there's no reason to listen on multiple streamings because if. You know, it has no ads, so I don't want to listen to like Spotify with ads if I have Amazon Music. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, how do you how do you share with your friends? YouTube or other? Uh, only when we're just like together and we'll have a speaker connected and we'll just be like dancing around. I only have like one friend I really like talk about music with, but we don't talk about music that much. It's kind of like I have my dad. So what? <laughs> what who more could you want yes of course <laughs> good good and uh you do you yourself have any physical media that you own uh, he means do you own CDs? like cds or records yeah. Yeah. so i used to have like three cds i'd rotate out in my mom's car these would be the dirty dancing soundtrack <laughs> lady gaga which was just like a cd a friend of mine bought me when i went through my lady gaga stage which was a dark period and then I also have, there was like a Beyonce CD from forever ago that would go in. But, you know, we rarely listen to the CDs. There's like, my mom is not that into music. You know, like you could kind of ask her about it. And the end of conversation would be, oh, I like David Bowie. Not David Bowie. Oh, my God. Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. I said David Bowie. Said <laughs> so, okay. yeah. If, oh, I listen to Bob Dylan. She actually doesn't. End of conversation. Right. So, <laughs> um, and then. She kind of bought random records from Goodwill she didn't even look at one time, which I remember looking, watching her do that when I was like four and being like, there's something wrong here. You're not even choosing things you're going to listen to just because she wanted to like pretend she had a record collection. You know, we just have random records there. 
So I want to kind of listen to those maybe just as an experiment. But the only one that's ever in there is Back to Black, which I don't have a problem with. I thought it sounded really, people say like, oh, records sound different than digital. And I think that album really did sound a lot better on that record player. So I really like that, but that's not really out anymore because we don't have really any records that my parents want to listen to. So I mainly listen to stuff on my phone you know and through the car uh-huh. speaker i find i don't need like a record player experience when i've got the car speakers to listen to every once in a while all right cool cool cool. all right well thanks thanks for sharing i'll uh, compare notes with my cousins and uh type up a full you know 13 page academic article about it so, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get to our main event here that is npr's tiny desks and i'll i'll refer to the expert uh dj keep roomy for that yeah, so just the background history. Well, personally, I partly got into the tiny desk. I'm, I'm disappointed that this feature has gone away, but they used to have a dedicated app for smart TVs. So if you're on a Roku or a Amazon Fire or the like, tiny desk could be an equal competitor to signing into Netflix. So I, I just the convenience of, of that to hop right on there and uh, watch some short concerts. What I really appreciate about the format is they're normally, you know, a pretty tight 12 to 20 minutes. So Mm -hmm. all the acts are just playing three or four songs, which that's enough. I think especially in terms of our attention span these days, I could plead guilty to not necessarily having the patience to wanting to wait to see if an artist has buried their strongest work, you know, tracks five through seven. I probably will have given up if I don't like one of the first two songs. Uh move on to something else as we're so spoiled by streaming services. So I kind of uh, appreciate the pressure of, hey, come on here. We'll film and record you really well. What are your three or four best songs that you can potentially try to attract a a new audience with? Mm -hmm. I'm also just looking at some of the boilerplate information online. Apparently, Tiny Desk first came about in 2008 when Bob Boylan and uh, NPR Music Editor were at a bar show and then complained that they just couldn't hear the music over the crowd noise. Mm. Joked that, you know, hey, why don't we go? I'd rather just listen to them at the office. (laughs) <laughs> and at, this damn, at this damn bar where I can't hear a thing. And that Serious problem, yeah. Boylan also had a 1970s uh, psychedelic dance band called the Tiny Desk Unit. So there's a double meaning there. Ah. Where both uh, referencing his prior group and also they're literally performing at his still very cluttered desk at the NPR studios in D.C., so as of August 2018, the series has had more than 800 concerts, so they may well be over 1,000 by now. It has been viewed a collective 2 billion times on YouTube. So it's kind of interesting, the, the evolution of it. They still have kind of retained the look of it being a relatively modest production. The, the concerts sound mm-hmm. amazing, but don't mm-hmm. look particularly high budget. It's and, a strange uh, setting. Yeah, yeah and, and, and yet it, you know, as a kind of arbiter of taste in contemporary music. I mean, I'd put it up there with the needle drop or pitchfork or 
maybe I would put it above all music guide as we're speaking in uh, 2021. Now we could argue about uh-huh. that, but yeah, uh-huh. no, it's, it's yeah become a really important forum, particularly for younger acts. I mean, it's, it's nice that Cat Stevens and John Prine and Natalie Merchant and the like can still get up there and perform, but it's more important function is for uh, younger artists to uh, have have a bigger, less kind of in the know audience, solid uh, middle middle brow, middle obscurity level <laughs> yeah. performing space. I certainly wouldn't call it <clears throat> obscure. So we're varying a bit from uh, default format here, but uh, well, I mean that's that's fine. Would you say that after ten years, it has become a, uh, a an American institution? Institution, <laughs> sure, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your history with it? Has it been something that you've you've been going to over the years a lot? Or no, I I, I can say as of November a month ago, I, I had listened to about two of them before, and now in in preparation for this the scheduled digression, I, I've probably listened to seventy plus of them. So I. Oh. Kind of binged, binged hardcore. I would conclude that it would serve a really good purpose for anybody who wants to start a new relationship, and say, "Hey, you know, as your as your OK Cupid or whatever profile test, uh, what what tiny desk concerts do you like? Feel your stranger person out and get to know them by okay. which uh, which of the concerts they do like and don't, and uh, I think that's, that it would serve a good social purpose." <laughs> it's funny to me you haven't listened to them much because for my dad, like I remember even when I was like. 10, 8, like I'd come downstairs and it was, that's like on half the time. It was horrible. If you, you go to the bathroom for two minutes, like, oh, watch a tiny desk. You know, it's kind of this like removable way he listens to music. I don't, maybe once a month, once a week, I'll click on a tiny desk, but he loves them. So, mm-hmm. so that, that gets to a question whether, whether there's a difference between a connoisseur and an obsessive. And it sounds like, uh, Listening in the bathroom might be a little bit more the latter, <laughs> but that's perfectly healthy. That's encouraged on on out of obscurity. So, <laughs> very yeah. good. Like he said, it's not. He doesn't watch them as much now that that app is gone. It's too bad. I think that there are two the two main advantages of Tiny Desk Concerts. One is that it shows which bands could make it as buskers performing on the street for change and which ones are successful, quote unquote, only through the magic of studio production. That's one. And the second is that uh, for would-be gods or people who are idolized, I think it humanizes them a lot. There's a few performers, I think, Adele on... DJ Karev's list and uh, maybe Harry Styles and I think uh, also a few other performers are just super super famous and to see them in such a small setting, uh, you know, brings them down to earth quite a bit. Yeah, I was really really impressed with that Adele Tiny Desk. It's uh, crazy how she can sing, you know. And I'm not the type of person to. I know a lot of people love like obsessively watching Whitney Houston or Celine Dion or Adele concerts, kind of like oh they sing so amazing, but. I just find concert videos annoying, so I'm not Absolutely. one to like, get obsessed with someone's voice, necessarily. Uh, I'm not the type of music fan who kind of is like, oh, this person is an amazing singer, you know? Sure. So but then I, like, watched that, and I was like, oh, she can really sing, like, Jesus, you know? <laughs> That's why I just, uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of my thought process there. I think also one more one more point on on quality control. As as you said, it, being annoyed by concert footage, I feel like the selection and recording quality is really really very consistent. It beats to- totally beats random concert footage that is you know questionably mixed, or maybe the stage is hidden behind a fog machine or something. And I've I've almost never seen any bad mixes or heard any bad mixes or had any technical problems on a tiny desk. It's just it's just really well produced. I think. 
Yeah, one of the things even to to build on um, DJ Pozur's take is that amazingly, some of the tiny desks actually sound better than the artist's own studio recording. For example, Angel Olsen, her newest album kind of got a divided reception as being overproduced. Mm. So some of the acts that get, you know, a little too cute in the studio, mm. tiny desks kind of bring them back to earth a little bit more as well. Or also some some groups like one of my picks, Julia Jacqueline, one of her uh, records just sounds a, a little bit flat. So it's the songs are good, but the recording quality is just so, so. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really impressive that they can even do a, a, a better job than the uh, the artists or the, or the artist's label when left to their own devices. Not, not all the time, but sometimes, yeah. Can be done. Can be done. Yeah, I think uh, stripping back the layers of artifice to find the human at the center of every song, to put it uh, pithily, is, is, is what it what it kind of does. Yeah. DJ Karev, do you want to go ahead and jump into your top five and pick? Before she does, super- <laughs> I want to uh, I, I want to know what what we're dealing with in terms of experience with concerts. As a young person, how many concerts have you gone to, DJ Karev? Uh, and how do you feel about going without them? Going without them in this deprived era of COVID nineteen. Well, the first concert I went to was a Beyonce concert, which I think is hilarious because it was this huge, overwhelming experience. You know, Um, I went to a Dolly Parton concert. I went to a Frankie Cosmos concert. I went to a Lucinda Williams concert. And I'd say that's kind of about it. Four concerts. Oh, Oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Favorite concert. I forgot my favorite concert. Okay. (laughs) I saw one it was a year ago for my 13th birthday it was Uh amazing because um lucinda williams i kind of respect and listen to a lot when i was younger just as like common music i could listen to with my dad you know frankie cosmos i wasn't that into at the time and i like her i don't love her and then beyonce and dolly parton were more like my mom's like things i like dolly parton but you know there's kind of like my five favorites then i'm done and then Lana Del Rey, I genuinely love her so much and I love her music. So that was just like my, I really, she was like my favorite artist at that point too. Like, cause I hadn't gotten that into music and I just like listened to Born to Die over the summer and her new record came out. And I was like, oh my God, this is so good. Cause I had these like two new albums I was like listening to on repeat. And then seeing her in concert, it was just like amazing to me. And I, it was, she was really good. You know, she had that SNL performance uh, a couple years back, which kind of gives her this reputation of, oh, Lana Del Rey can't do live. Lana Del Rey is not, mm. she's awkward, you know. Mm. But I thought since then she's gotten really, really amazing at doing live concerts. So it was, it was great. I don't, a fair enough. I don't. I You've been to a lot of many. concerts like, for a 14 year old, yeah, I would like say. For a 14 year old, for sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good deal, good deal. And have either of you seen any of your top five picks live in actual actuality? I have not. Yeah, so I've actually seen Eskimo, also known as Gabby's World. I, I saw them at a free uh, kind of art festival at Columbus. So that was hey. one of DJ Karev's possible picks. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Courtney, not Courtney Barnett, uh, Julia Jacqueline, I've I've seen as well. So yeah, I have seen a couple of uh, cool, cool, cool. of our picks. Yeah. So then we'll ask you to compare the tiny desk to the actual in-person experience a little bit later. But uh, we'll, we'll let uh, let DJ Karev, as you said, jump into her top five. Oh, okay. So the first one for me was Phoebe Bridgers. It was her second tiny desk. I found her first tiny desk to be a little lackluster. It had her first album tracks on it, and 
probably she didn't choose my favorite tracks from her first album, which I thought was interesting. But I also, in general, didn't even like the first album, her first album as much as her second. It was Stranger in the Alps. And then her new album, Punisher, is what she was doing for her second Tiny Desk. And I thought it was very, very good. I thought it was recorded really well. The guitar sounded super warm and clean and it was great. And I, I really liked Kyoto as the first song that was played there. Kyoto's one of my favorite tracks on that album. It was really pretty and it just has more of a rock vibe. So hearing it with an acoustic guitar was really, really cool for me. I just thought it was a great tiny desk. Sure, behind the behind the resolute desk on a green screen, no less. Yeah, I, that's, I thought that was funny. The Secret Service guys kind of looked like the Beatles with their hair. I don't know. It just gave me that vibe. My dad was like, no, it's the Secret Service guys. I was like, oh, yeah, that would make more sense there. Uh-huh. So something your dad and I have gone toe-to-toe on is, is genre. Would you describe her her songs as folk country or folk rock or any of the above or does that matter to you i think folk rock probably i'd say you have some heavy instrumentals sometimes you know this kind of quote-unquote burying the vocals which just is undeniably rockish you know i'd probably Mm. turn folk rock kind of like fleetwood mac Mm. vibes a little bit to me i don't know interesting I thought the opener was kind of Indigo Girls and uh, Lilith Festival material overall, but I think that she had a really nice finale that was super fitting for 2020, and I don't want to spoil it, but uh, really nice, really good climax there and in, in, in incorporating some high-tech stuff. But I thought her overall, the, the appearance, her microphone looks entirely too expensive. So, <laughs> like she's got like a million zillion accessories attached to it, and it looks like, you know, looks like a Studebaker or something. Just, you know. <laughs> Other thoughts on that one? Uh, sure. Yeah, that was another one. I thought I've heard DJ Karev some uh, Phoebe Bridgers music in my car. And then I, I thought that arguably the Tiny Desk, particularly the second one, sounded even had a, a fuller sound with, with more reverb than her original recording. So I thought that, that one was really nicely recorded as well. Right. That's that's what I got on that. What's your second focus pick? And we'll, we'll comment on each of them briefly, I think. But. Um, I chose Ben Folds for the reason that this was for me something funny funny thing I have with music is my dad would expose me to a lot of the music he would listen to right and I would be annoyed by it because I was like an eight or seven year old who was not ready for quote unquote boring adult music right (laughs) so I'll be trying to get into a band that I had forcibly turned off again and again And I'll almost feel awkward listening to it. Ben Fold, it's just one of my dad's like top 10 old guys I thought was boring, you know. And then I listened to his tiny desk and I was like, oh, this guy's pretty fun. He forgets his lyrics, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That one, I also, playing the piano, uh, think that's really awesome to see a professional doing that, just sitting Mm -hmm. there on the keyboard. Or the, it is a piano, but you know. He's super agile, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And in regards to flubbing his lines, I think that was the only time desk that uh, I've seen where the performer makes a kind of makes a big deal of, of messing up a little bit and I think that yeah. uh, he incorporates it very well into his performance yeah so I thought that one was was good for making the audience wait for his hits you know they want it kind of like every concert the casual fan will just wait for the the hit single to be played and, and he doesn't just jump out with that right away and I wonder yeah. um, do young people today a question for you do young people today have 90s nostalgia 
I'd say uh, overall with the fashion and music, you know, I might even see a couple TikToks where people are playing like a 90s song with like 90s hair and they're kind of like, oh, I should have been born in the 90s. <laughs> so I'd say so a little bit, a little bit. A um, little bit. I feel okay. like there are a lot of teenagers I see that are into music, but I, that's probably with every generation. That are into 90s music in particular? Not 90s in particular, but they'll listen to... I don't necessarily know if I can even think of much music I consider 90s myself. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, the Ben Folds, partly, you know, you know, different artists will approach this differently, but Ben Folds was playing, as DJ Poser was saying, a lot of his newer stuff in that. And then, like, yeah. one of his oldest songs. Like, yeah. Amaline, he was talking about it was the first song he wrote that he liked, mm-hmm. uh, which was right after a song from his new album, mm-hmm. uh, Capable of Anything. Which I still like a lot less than Phone in a Pool. What's funny is he made it look so easy sitting there on the piano playing that song. And then me and my dad tried to yeah. do it. And it was, <laughs> oh, my God, it was horrible. Take it easy. Take it slow. I was like, oh, how do I phrase that? And that sound awkward. It can't. We gave up in two minutes. Wow. It was, it was hilarious. So that song is one of those songs you have to be really good to pull off somehow but i love that song i'm impressed that you that you both took a stab at it that's that's impressive yeah (laughs) oh i think he was very casual very very conversational he likes to give some background information about it which i appreciate so again again the humanizing putting who is the person that made this song what kind of a person what's what are their quirks and foibles you can really really see them all on on display in an intimate setting he mentions why music that he played with Y Music. Are either of you familiar with them? No, I don't think so. Kind of a new classical young person ensemble, if not band. If you're into anything experimental with the chamber music instruments, I'd recommend them. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're definitely challenging. So check them out. They would fit on the obscurity scale for an episode if either of you wants to take a take a listen. I thought not not a fan. The song that he played was uh, very meta. Something that more uh, some musicians do well, and some make it seem like oh now it's your now you're a famous musician. You're going to sing sing songs about you know being a musician and writing songs, mm-hmm. which uh, is, is annoying sometimes. But I think he, he did it well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that that is kind of a funny category of um, music. I kind of like. There's a Frankie. Cosmo song. This is a kind of a cliche thing to do, but the Frankie Cosmo song Outside with the Cuties, she has one lyric that's like, I haven't finished this part yet. Will you help me write it? I think it's kind of cool in a song where you acknowledge you're writing a song in the middle of the song, right? I think that's fun, but a lot of people hate that. They're like, Ugh, I don't want to, I can't relate to that. I don't want to hear that. That's, ugh. but I, I don't think it's fun. Actually, I, I kind of like that trope. A bit. Nice, nice, nice. And even just saying that something is a trope, I'm impressed. So you're <laughs> well studied. <laughs> very, very astute. <laughs> no, I thought the the range of that one was pretty impressive. Just proving how much you can totally rock out while just one man and a piano. Yeah, absolutely. Um, close, close call for me too. We, we we tried to not have overlaps among our top five, but um, uh-huh. I think I could, could well have selected Ben Folds or. Um, Eskimo, a.k.a. Gabby's World, also, if you want to move on to uh, to that one. Yeah, let's hear about Eskimo. What do you think? That band I like. I think it's kind of folk, indie pop type of vibe, right? Pretty quiet songs, a lot of electric guitars, soft vocals. There's not a lot of... I'd say I admit I'm scared. She kind of rocks out a bit at mm-hmm. the end there. But mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a lot of rocking out on that album. <laughs> so that album is funny to me because it brings back memories of this very long car ride I was on in which I had eight hours of music downloaded 
very little Wi-Fi. So it was kind of like two weeks and eight hours of music and like 10 hours in the car every day. So you do the math to 140 hours of eight hours. So I listened to that album a lot during that time and kind of haven't listened to it much since, mainly because it reminds me of being in the car. But I like it. I like it a lot. And I think the main song that caught my attention was I Had Been Scared on that when I first listened to it. And it's a uh, it's a pretty concert she has there. Mm-hmm. They're certainly obscure enough. Also, I may have to make a note of this when you choose something that is, I think, not super famous. I think there is nothing more hipster on the planet than a, a musician collective from Brooklyn that is in multiple bands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what your views on hipsterism are, but uh, I think they are a fully different species in appearance from the average homo sapiens. And yeah. uh, who who doesn't need to hear a chorus about New Brunswick? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think the band Bellows was on just the week after and then she's i think her boyfriend is the lead of that band and then he's mm-hmm. also the backup in her band so at the end of the bellows one boiling jokes you know i should just have you on every week just there you go come on my show and then it will <laughs> be band every week yeah, yeah yeah one of your side projects yeah, yeah. as a hipster quote unquote you can kind of be seem hip, hipper than thou and uh, cooler than thou and i think she seems more than that she seems uh like she has some real emotion behind it i thought the songs were a little bit brief and i think it was good uh, in terms of performance visuals unlike some of the tiny desks where the uh, the band members whose instrument isn't in the song just kind of sit there awkwardly I, I think it was good that she brought her band with her on the last song when they're actually doing something and singing and moving along with the uh, with the song and, yeah uh, so when you when you've got a solo performer and i think maybe we could have a, have a word on this is I, I tended not to like the solo performers, but uh, when there is only one person and one instrument, I think the, the focus really needs to be on them. And sometimes the camera pans to pans to people sitting awkwardly, like, when is my part going to come in the song? And I think that when you when doing these tiny desks, when you're when you choose a set, if when you're your artist, I think uh, both Phoebe Bridgers and Eskimo, they both did a really good job that had that shows their their closing song as as one that really builds to a nice climax. What's your ranking of all the tiny desks I chose out of those three? Of those three, I, I think, uh, I mean, I hadn't heard of Eskimo or, or Phoebe Bridgers, and I think that they're both different, and I, I don't know, I think they're both nice. I, that's the thing with Tiny Desk, it's like you're never going to find a lemon, really. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, I, that, that was the problem with my own top five, is I, I couldn't say why I like my top five better than the next 10 to 15. So I mean, I, I, I'm at a loss for words there, really, in terms of comparing right. the best or best. <laughs> how, how about your dad? Oh, what's my ranking? I probably would do Ben Folds number one, Eskimo number two, then Phoebe Bridgers number three. I mean, that would probably be in line with which albums I would listen with too. But with Eskimo, I would say... You know, those recordings are also as nice or better than the ones on on the album. I mean, there's a little bit more production on the album that the songs Gabby plays the guitar and sings nicely enough. They don't really need that much more. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my criteria you know, in, in picking mine is I wasn't so much interested in performances that were totally faithful to the original. I mean, I, I can yeah, respect yeah. the performance that, you know, here's how it's recorded in the album and then I'll get up and do it live in the exact same way. You know, of, of mm. course, there's something impressive about that, but I'd, I'd mm. almost rather have a recording that's significantly different and almost maybe a rival to the original in, yeah, in yeah, uh, yeah. the way that it's performed. Yeah, It will prick up the ears and give a little free song rather than seeing how the sausage is made sort of thing. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Cool, cool. Do you want to uh, mention your other two briefly? 
So I, Adele, I talked about Harry Style, the tiny desk kind of came on back when I had a TV in my room and I would just kind of click YouTube and go to recommend it. And my friend, one of my friends is like very obsessed with him and just, uh, and then a couple of my friends, he'll just like play One Direction and Harry Styles. I'm like, oh, I'm not into this, you know, this is, huh? All right. <laughs> so then, uh, cause I just saw it as Not like here. my friend, one of my friends, she's not that into music that's interesting at all. And then she'll be listening to some like seventies inspired Harry track. And I'm like, do you really like this? Or are you, are you just obsessed with Harry Styles? Cause you listen to nothing else like this. <laughs> so <laughs> that was always kind of hilarious to me. So I click on it and I'm like, I, I'll, I'll watch this while I'm doing my homework right and i was like oh this album isn't that bad i don't like one direction i didn't go through a one direction phase i don't find this attractive always i don't know i don't find them attractive but i liked it okay. <laughs> i liked that i actually there's the song to be so lonely i think that kind of caught me off guard the most i was like oh i really like that song and then uh i later kind of looked him up and there's the song cherry falling sign of the times i'd say he has a couple great tracks okay. kind of with someone I, I underestimated a bit and then I watched the tiny desk and I was like, Oh, this person is impressive. So that's kind of why I chose that one. I will admit I didn't, I didn't watch either of them <laughs> and I have a, a kind of a visceral reaction to anything related to boy bands. And I wonder if in your opinion, does having been in a boy band, does that disqualify someone from rocking? Um, in any I way? It necessarily does. I think it's pretty rare that someone who leaves this kind of boy band will try to be taken seriously and i think the thing with harry styles if you watch like a concert video of him he is this like funny guy right so i don't think he's asking you to take him seriously as this like serious rock performer yeah watermelon sugar huh? you know so <laughs> i think he kind of embraces that a little bit i don't know if okay. it matters and then you look at people like justin timberlake that kind of just stayed in the jokingly pop field so i don't know if that's a category of person i can think of that kind of wants you to take them seriously like super seriously after they leave the boy band because i think that is kind of a hard jump for people right absolutely yes all right well i, I if there's a little bit of uh, self-consciousness then I, I guess i can appreciate that but i'm probably never going to listen to it so <laughs> that's fair okay i don't know if there's a transition if, if you're going to talk about billy corgan there could be a 90s 90s connection there but i don't know if that was one of that you wanted to focus on there sure yeah so billy corgan surprised me he kind of shuffled out there just in a it looked like what he was just wearing walking around town in a puffy coat and a terrible hat and that was uh, really strange i thought really uh, strange he's wearing a winter coat winter coat and yes. full winter gear and his his, yeah. his accompaniment is all in short sleeves i did not understand <laughs> right. what's going on and uh he needed an ipad to uh remember his lyrics and then tonight tonight was a bit in the category of he starts out by playing the hits and uh mm -hmm. that was fine but i found uh, both of his uh new songs to be really uh beautiful songs you know billy corgan is someone you know i was a kind of medium smashing pumpkins fan in the 90s they probably would never have been in my top 10 but i went to a concert with friends that was pretty good i probably owned at least two of their albums but he's he's not someone that i would have remembered to seek out but for a tiny desk so i really appreciated mm. hearing both aeronaut and uh, mandarin on um on his performance and then and then listen to that album which was also pretty good so i appreciate it and then the, those those performances are pretty faithful to the album but i never would have heard of it but for the tiny desk what did, what did you think of that one i want to hear what uh dj karev thinks of since she also picked a, a 90s icon 
of the rock scene. Oh, I, I, I did watch it with my dad. He had me watch it. I, again, kind of liked how it's just this guy with the piano. And that was interesting. I wasn't the biggest fan of the like violin interludes with those ladies. It just kind of like took me out of it a bit. Violin hmm. isn't my favorite instrument, just kind of as a rule, because I did play violin, kind of. My mom's uh, tried to force me to play it, you know, as like an instrument, and I didn't like that. So it just kind of irritates me at this point. Actually, same, same, same here. It'll scar you for life. Trying violin yeah. at yeah. a young age. It's just, you know, bad influence. No. There's some, uh, some strong opinions uh, from DJ Karev about certain instruments where I think <laughs> harmonica is one of the oh. least. Oh, harmonica. no. Because the least favorites. So yeah, just, right. just, just put I it away. Stand it. It's nails on the chalkboard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. This is why Bob Dylan writes me a bit. I try to listen to one of his songs, and then you know I feel like just from listening to it a little bit around the house, you know I've kind of listened to an album, and I was like, all right, I guess the formula here is we either sing a lady's name, we jam on the harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> or we go on a rant, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Just take take off that ridiculous facial appendage and go back to the campfire. And, yeah. uh, right. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with you on both of those accounts. Actually, on the string quartets, though, I, I do absolutely very much like that. I think that was the most novel and interesting part of it is that, you know, he's obviously a rock star. And being on, a, on an acoustic piano and being backed up by a bunch of ladies on cello and violin and viola strings and so forth, I thought that was pretty novel. However, I, as you say that uh, this is a format for the young people who are unknown, this was a really surprising pick. I don't have as much nostalgia for the Smashing Pumpkins, and although uh, you know everybody has a history with them, and I thought his voice, especially on the on the first song, I thought he sounded old. I thought his nasal vibration was like a munchkin. And uh, did you make it to the uh, to the two new songs? Or I did. I did. I liked the second and third songs more. Is what I what I noted here. But the first yeah, one really it, felt like it felt like you know like Nirvana, like Cobain, playing a song so much until you hate it. You don't know a song until you hate it. I felt not necessarily that he wasn't enjoying himself, but he's clearly played that song hundreds and hundreds of times. And I'm not sure that, uh, you know, even the string quartet was enough to, to, to make it kind interesting. Like the, the migrating birds that can still uh, fly while their brain is basically sleeping. So he was <laughs> doing the playing. The, yeah. So when I, when I actually cue that one up, I basically fast forward to minute four or five. I, you know, I still like sure. tonight tonight enough but no i don't need to hear it again uh -huh. but yeah no i thought the two the two newer songs really surprised me and i wouldn't know of them but for this so that made made the cut it was good enough to make the cut for me well that's all i have to say about him <laughs> okay how about um courtney barnett is a Australian, and I would put her, since I know you like like to talk about genre, I would put her solidly in the uh, rock camp for her own recordings. So this is one that, you know, it's it's just her, and she's a, a really, really solid guitar player. So for all three of the songs, Avant Gardner, History, Eraser, and Depreston, all of which are clever titles in and of themselves to uh, to begin with. She's doing a lot of work uh, with the guitar and then with the kind of talking blues format, which I think when uh, Ava's critique of Bob Dylan as either blowing on the harmonica, sounding out a woman's name, or going on a rant, I think the... Uh, <laughs> 
scholarly way to say uh, going on a rant. She's talking about the the, the talking blues songs, uh, but I think that Courtney Barnett does a good good job of them there. Yeah, these are all. I think Depreston is maybe a little bit more in the folk rock camp, but I think Memory Serves, Avant Gardner, and History Eraser are just uh, straight out pretty loud distortion heavy rock songs mm-hmm. in the original and if anything I, mm-hmm. I think i prefer the kind of stripped down acoustic uh acoustic versions here what did you make of this uh, one in regards to that i think she i noted that she really has toned it down from the original and has chosen i couldn't tell i've only heard her album a few times but i, I think she either chose her less raucous numbers or really toned it down so i think yeah as you said that's putting a, a, a different spin on a song that you know and love is is, a, is i think an important thing for a live performance whether whether here or on on stage yeah i thought that uh, stream of consciousness lyrics she's very uh, literal and uh, clever as you mentioned a lot of wordplay going on i think she's a, a captivating performer and uh, you really want to listen carefully to what she's saying to get all her her little turns of phrase i think her she's a real storyteller and her accent, uh, her Australian accent, and I think you really have a thing for Australian and New, New Zealand performers, uh, recurring geographic origin for you in, in your in your picks. Things like her accent makes for rhymes that others couldn't make, like it's getting hot in here so I try some gardening. And how do you make that rhyme? That's just impressive. And not many people sing about medical debt or breathing problems, but I think it's, I found it very relatable and full of, full of I guess, zingers, as I would, I'd say. So yeah, I liked I liked this performance and uh, a lot more than her duet with Kurt Vile. Sometimes sometimes I felt a little bit like it's a barrage of words. So I kept waiting. You know, the chorus is a nice break from that. Whenever she gets to it, uh, DJ Karev, do you remember that one as well, Courtney Barnett? I don't, you, I don't know if you watched that. One. I didn't pay much attention to it. I kind of got bored because she falls into the category that I would, I'm sure she has a fine album, you know, I'm sure she's a very nice lady, I'm sure her music is good if I (laughs) tried to listen to it, but I still have a bit of this attention stand problem with what I used to call when I was eight, quote-unquote, the electric guitar ladies, which is when you've kind of got this this quiet, indie-looking lady with her pretty enough lyrics and her guitar, and usually she sings a little quiet, like, a little quieter than the guitar and it's funny because when i write songs when i you know i'm basically turning into an electric guitar lady which is great mm. but i got bored, <laughs> a little bored by it because i think it's a little bit of something i've seen a lot growing up you know huh. people like that huh. on the contrary i thought her album thought her album sometimes i sit and think i thought that was just iconoclastic a really fresh take on the guitar lady that is a a thing that is exists i i'm not as familiar with it i guess but i thought it was a really you know on the verge of being obnoxious but so in your face and present and in- intense and urgent, I enjoyed it. It's very, very popular and well-received and critically acclaimed. And I would actually agree with the critics that it's right up there, a five-star album. So tell me I'm an old man who doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think partly, I don't know if uh, DJ Karev has heard too many of her original albums. So I think she's mostly drawing on the on the tiny desk. But yeah, more, like I saw I, it, it more like, okay, down. it's another yeah. it's another 20-something-year-old woman holding a guitar. I'm going to... <laughs> so I didn't pay much attention to it. Okay. To be honest. Yeah, we could move on to Julia Jacqueline, who I think would then fit the same 
the same category, but I think uh, DJ Karev is a bit more taken with. Love her. I okay. I oh. love to let the kids win that whole album. I listen to late at night. A lot of albums I'll just have I'll, I'll know I have listened to it once, but then remember none of the songs because I listen to it at like one a.m. But I do really like her. I would. This is maybe one you would have put in your top five yeah, if I hadn't picked if it. If you yeah. hadn't, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, I was very angry because Lana Del Rey had this guest. It was like Willie Nelson's son, which excited my mom, but didn't excite me so much because I think if you have a famous dad, I don't know. I'm not impressed with legacy so much because it's like almost by chance that you're this person who knows some person, you know? So I was like, okay, that's Willie uh, Nelson's son. She's going to sing this song that they did together. I think is really pretty. Tomorrow never came. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Um, And then the next concert she did was with Julia Jacqueline. And I was like, well, why couldn't Julia Jacqueline be at my concert? You know, so I... Uh, yes, I think it I, might have been uh, Sean Sean Lennon versus Julia Jacqueline, and you would have rather seen Julia Jacqueline than the... Yeah, yeah I would have. Right. I really like her. Yeah, and she's someone where these recordings aren't too different from the album, but I think that uh, in, in general, we're looking at the screenshot right now where it's just a drummer, an electric bass, and then two electric guitars, but they play with absolutely clean tone in the electric guitar, which you don't hear that much for a, a band to be all electric, but keeping the tone totally clean at the same time as well. I, I appreciated that. I, I think Boylan might have miked her, her vocals even more out out front and then in her album so i found that this was really a perfect showcase for her singing and the band's general style this is where we discovered her as well so extra extra credit for that where we may never have even heard of this person if it if it wasn't for tiny desk i had never heard of her before and i guess she would be then the representative of whether i would take a tiny desk concert as a as an introduction whether i would get into someone having having this been the introduction and uh i'm not as i'm not as sanguine i'm not as uh, not as into her she's a little bit mellow for me so it's a, a little bit more more of a, a, a what kind of music do you, do you usually like to listen to kind of a thing, probably. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I'm, in, I'm interested to hear where, where she excels above other folk folk uh, women with guitars. Yeah, I mean, I think her her voice is really good, very, very clean. Um, she has a really kind of bright, clear voice, good songs. And then the, the kind of the format, which to me doesn't sound that cliche, I mean, almost no one is is kind of right in that middle ground of it's a it's a rock combo but we're going to keep it totally clean i think people mm-hmm. either are, are a bit more either mixing some uh kind of folk guitars in there as well i don't know maybe like the fleet foxes mm-hmm. or or are rocking out more like uh St. Vincent or Courtney Barnett. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty straight ahead style, but I really appreciate it. The uh, the St. Vincent tiny desk I thought was was pretty good in that it was also like mellow, even though her music is very much not mellow. You look at that tiny desk, how like professional she looks, and then you look at the album cover, and already you're like, what? That's the same lady? Okay, <laughs> you know. So it was uh, some of the songs off her Mass Seduction album, which my dad has said aggressively is his least favorite record by her but i thought you know like new york especially it was a pretty good songs there we're sneaking in uh almost missed with the saint vincent one as well but yeah 
for the record, I think St. Vincent can do no wrong. And I'm more of the, you know, take an artist as a whole entirely. And, you know, even what you say are her, her lesser works, I will, I will still take it highly respected and appreciated. Yeah, interestingly, one of the things that DJ Karev pointed out is that I tend to like groups where the, the performers are still singing in English, which which you're you're taking us admirably out outside of that comfort we're, zone. We're going to leave that in a minute, yeah. But, but <laughs> the, uh, a number of my favorite picks have uh, accented English, where yes. you know often often the tendency is if you're uh, Australian or New Zealand or from Wales, you kind of neaten it up. Like I think the the Rolling Stones mostly sing with American accents. So yeah, I thought I thought that was an interesting thing that cuts across a number of these picks. So yeah, Aldous Harding is what can you say? I mean, such a distinctive performer really unusual i mean to it to a certain extent it seems like she kind of has a an act um, that she sticks with with the the kind of uh, uncomfortable intensity she brings to to all of her songs mm-hmm. that are all just such classic urgent sounding uh sounding songs i mean i, I think of the bunch you could imagine these as like uh classic hits from the 60s or 70s that maybe a, a performer was still if you know the kind of gender politics that that she's dealing with were appropriate to 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 talk about then uh but yeah i find really unique and really really compelling performances considering it's just her and then the guy on the on the keys for for all of them i think mm-hmm. he mixes in an acoustic guitar for some of the performances as well but really captivating for how stripped down the performances are mm-hmm. what did what did you make of this one i think to, to just address that point really quickly is that uh, i think all of the all of them could be described as relatively minimalist but i think just the two performers really it really they're in perfect harmony in there and uh, they know what each each part of the of their of their role is for in every song which is really really well constructed but I want I want to hear from DJ Karev before I say say more about this example. I think uh, did, did DJ like Karev it? tends to find her a bit strange and uh, and and <laughs> off-putting. I found her to be a hard hard sell. She might be in the category of when you're in college, maybe you'll come back to her and then remember <laughs> not like not like what do you think of uh, Elvis hurting at this point, DJ Karev? Um, I kind of like the classic formula a lot of bands go for. Even like I can think of two duo bands right now that typically just go for like some keys that are a little distorted with some electric guitar that's a little distorted so I kind of like that formula of going like the song starts playing I'm like alright but I just think the singing is a little too aggressive for me and mm. in in my face I think there's a difficult balance with music for me I'm very picky about how the vocals are mixed like with Mitski in her earlier, earlier work I'll be very irritated by like it's buried in all these instrumentals and I'm like whoa I cannot hear what you're saying but then when it's too loud and like too aggressive I just kind of get turned off a bit kind of like Dylan sometimes honestly and this lady kind of gave me a little bit of that yeah I think it's you know her vocals in in addition to the kind of urgent feeling behind them they're mixed both pretty loudly and then with a lot of reverb as well so clearly mm. you know that's it's almost not trying to be a band they want almost 60 percent of what you're hearing to be the vocals okay so yeah I I, I want to say first in case I don't get to again uh, to DJ Krev it sounds like a really hard life for you where you're going to have to just revisit over and over again all of these things that uh, you didn't like yeah, the first time I hope, 
I hope your dad is. I hope your dad is giving you space to discover your own music that you like, and not just uh, <laughs> piling things on like homework or something, like a, like a professor. <laughs> no, you should tell him something. What are some of the groups you like that I? Oh, he's Beatles. We we uh, listen to Revolver together, and we listen to Abbey Road together. Kind of the last few minutes of our drive we have a lot of fun or at least i have a lot of fun i don't know you're pretty stressed out there are doing our uh, eight-hour car rides we have you know going from new jersey to ohio so we jam out to a lot of music the entire time <laughs> right so okay. one um i i've enjoyed that la rue i don't know if okay. you've heard of my ex is super into her and i don't get her at all so way to go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've been listening to her since I was four. By listening to her, I mean her first record because Trouble in Paradise kind of was a weird. It was it was just not as good, but it has some. I think Uptight Downtown pretty good. Um, and then her newest album really just disappointed me a lot. Mm. I was so excited just for kind of to find my like top three tracks to be okay. I'm checking my list of favorites. But yeah, she has plenty of stuff. Uh, I'm glad, glad to hear. There, there, there is space for self-discovery. Thing. All right. Yeah. yeah. Self-driven, oh, self-driven I, exploration. And then she was also on a significant uh, Queen and Elton John kick where I've, I've, those have never been two of my big classic artists. So okay. there's some room. You, you, know, you know, talk about Queen or Elton John briefly. Uh, Elton John, the song Rocket Man always meant a lot to me. I found it very relatable. Going back and forth parents to parent, you know, kind of like you're changing headspaces and feeling like a different person. Kind of how I related to that song. I thought it was very pretty. I've gotten into the singer. I don't know if you've heard of Claro or Claro. Yeah. It's, she uh, is kind of this lady with an electric guitar, right? She has pretty soft vocals. She has a acoustic performance done with Cafe Lounge that I thought was a tiny desk, then wasn't. And I was very disappointed. I couldn't choose mm-hmm. that. Bunny. No, Beach Bunny is a rock band. I actually made my dad go to their concert. So that was exerting <laughs> my power a little bit. And he right, right, thought right. they wouldn't be that good, but then actually really liked them. Oh, they, they broke into the Chinese scene, too, into the Chinese consciousness. One of my, one of my students chose them as their favorite political song the prom queen song prom queen and, I, I i knew that would be the one and yeah. the rest of the the rest of the students promptly voted it down house also i i really like um and my dad showed me that band so yeah i have room to discover my own stuff and kind of show stuff to him also glad to hear glad to hear it should be a, it should be a conversation a two-way street yeah <laughs> he just also As knows more be. so you know I well, it's, it's kind of yeah more. not 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 entirely fair that he has we have a, we have a head start but uh, mm-hmm. that's all it is a head start and you can catch up yeah. <laughs> so, back to Aldous Harding. I want to say about her performance, and this is really an instance where the the performance itself, the Tiny Desk, was uh, divisive for me because I loved her 2017 album. Really, really liked it. I thought, uh, you know, the the style is just a totally different take on folk music. Goth folk is something that was entirely new to me, and I think uh, her lyrical themes are are dark and talking about death, death and so forth and other things. And I I don't know many women who sing in a lower register, which I think is really interesting to hear. But this performance. On her tiny desk, and especially her facial expressions and mannerisms, they were more perplexing than intriguing to me. I felt like her when she ever, whenever she came across a, a phoneme or a syllable with a letter T in it, it would almost click and spit 
with emphasis. I felt like her facial expressions are like a claymation short, struggling to get the right mouth shapes or for speech, or maybe a robot programmed to mimic human movements in an exaggerated way. I appreciate the performative element of that, but it was also just kind of creepy. Like, is this lady a real person, or is this, uh, I don't know, some kind of a not not necessarily a machine, but it, it seemed like uh, not human. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's interesting because I have almost the opposite take on it. I don't know if have you if you've seen the film that came out three or four years ago with Natalie Portman playing a singer kind of loosely modeled on Lady Gaga called Vox Lux. I have to see it, Evan. Did you see that? Okay, and then so there's clearly the kind of last chapter of that film is, you know, this pop singer that had all of this potential has kind of become, you know, just completely eaten up by the industry. So her performances are all kind of mechanical and overly packaged and just nice dance hits to buy jeans at the Gap too. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I find Harding her performance style to be really strange, but yet mm-hmm. you cannot imagine that it was something that was kind of cooked up at a record executive's oh no office where they say you know okay here's what you're gonna do you're gonna wear all white, take a shower mm-hmm. and just go with wet hair, you know over pronounce your consonants, <laughs> you know wear wear no makeup, you know. So I, I mean I I I, I find it. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of dancing around uh, trying to not say um, authenticity, but yeah, <laughs> I, I find the total lack of uh, packaging or coaching kind of refreshing. Um, oh, it was it was raw. It was it was real. It's it's just that you know, seeing her eyes, her eyes and her mouth, they're both very intense, but they seem to be going in opposite directions. A lot of the lyrics and a lot of the the, the different parts. It's like her, her, she's scared in her eyes, but angry in her mouth. Yeah, and that could be one where you know another kind of division on Tiny Desk is there are a few people that go on there. Like a, a hip hop guy, I haven't listened to much, but is really well liked. Tyler, the creator, you know, agreed mm. to go on Tiny Desk, but you know, it's okay, I'll only go on if we turn the lights down to level two, and then you Make know, me and my bandmates will all wear glow in the dark. I wonder if if you watched some of Harding's other live stuff, just kind of the the nightclub with things mostly dark, are mm. kind of more appropriate to her performance style. That's also kind of what I like about the tiny desks where he's just you, you go in there in the middle of the day at the D.C. office. It's all the lights are on. There's crap everywhere. And, you know, and you just do the. <laughs> That's what I found kind of discouraging when I clicked on that, because a lot, a lot of people actually in my generation love Tyler, the creator. Right. They mm. think he's so innovative. Billy Eilish, who I, re- I really love and listen to and I think is kind of overlooked by a lot of older people that listen to music and kind of like, oh, that's just a teeny bopper, sad girl. But, you know, I actually think her music is great and she loves Tyler, the creator, but I just can't get into it. And I was like, oh, great. They have a tiny desk. I'm going to, you know, listen to these songs acoustically at their root. Right. And then it's like, well, you turn the tiny desk into a concert, buddy. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Keep tiny desks pure. We have a movement here. (laughs) And another, another honorable, honorable mention is the, uh, the rapper from Pennsylvania, Mac Miller. I'm kind of impressed by, I don't listen to hip hop too often at all, but I'm impressed by the number of hip hop people that just go on there with a totally live proper band. So both Mac Miller and then New York based younger singer and rapper like Kelly 47, both went on with a just like five to eight piece band 
almost <laughs> like it was speaking of 90s nostalgia, like an MTV unplugged, you know, and then uh, did a tiny desk. I don't know if you wanted to talk about the Mac Miller. I thing really at all. wanted him to choose that as one of his top five because he doesn't listen to a lot of hip hop. And you then, yeah. you know, and then it's kind of interesting to me how he listened to that. And then it became like one of his favorite hip hop artists. Like I even asked him, would you say you like, you know, Mac more than, say, Eminem? And he's like, yeah, because he has like a more like calm vibe and he's not into super intense rap which is funny to me because even i kind of am i could like jam out to like a really really intense rap song as if it's like hard metal or like green day i get the same energy listening to rap god by eminem as i do like uh jesus of suburbia is that what it's called something like that by green day um so yeah i just i think it's interesting to me that he found like one of his favorite hip-hop artists from tiny desk I think unlikely like, source but i think once once you're tuned in to this is how you discover new artists i think that would be the, the most likely actually way to get him into hip-hop so yeah <laughs> right yeah i like to the only hip-hop performance that I, I i i found really compelling i haven't heard of either of those that you mentioned uh, i i like actually jeru the damager so yeah, he's, he, that's one of the We'll one to, of the home concerts from, yeah. from this year, but uh, yeah, I don't think any of the hip hop artists made any, either of our, any of our top fives, which is maybe a cultural bias on our part. We'll have to improve next time. You know, apparently that also kind of matched the critique of Tiny Desk itself for the first two or three years. That it was all Nico Case and the Walkmen and mm-hmm. um, Nick Lowe and the like, sure. and, and not enough. You know, either, either folk or indie rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Bands that were built for the format, which I have as a as special category, is like, yeah, if this if these guys don't do a tiny desk well, then then something's wrong. That's the thing, like they were right. built for it, they're made for it. So I can conclude with Kate Lebon, which then will bridge our two lists. Perfect. Since, um, yeah. She was someone that that made your list as well. So you know, she, she's a, a Welsh singer songwriter. In fact collaborates with a musician who was also who is now working with uh, Aldous Hard, uh, Harding H Hawkline so there's a connection there hmm. maybe the most heavily accented of all my choices and then I actually find I I prefer these tiny desk versions to the original recording she her, on her albums they're a bit more rock with a, a, a bass drums and i don't find they they add that much i think there's enough going on with the vocals i really liked both h Hawkline's guitar playing as well as kate lebon's they both are kind of trading off playing licks on the guitar no ne- neither one of them is just playing a straight kind of uh, rhythm guitar all three beautiful songs compellingly played DJ Krev, do you remember this one with Kate Lebon? Yeah, uh, I do. I remember thinking the uh, guitar the guy is playing is really cool looking. Um, And I I, I love their kind of vibe they have going. You could really tell there was like chemistry with the band. I was like, did they date? And my dad was like, yeah. I was like, God, you can really tell there. You can tell. You can tell. (laughs) I like the kind of cardigan laid back look. And I found it to be very, very uh, pretty. It was interesting to me to listen to someone with such an aggressive accent, right? So I think that kind of made it something more unique to listen to, kind of buried in my brow. Like, I wouldn't hear that from an American, probably. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I definitely felt like the guitars were whispering sweet nothings to each other. And... uh... (laughs) That uh, her, her Welsh accent, I could really buy. And I think if you can generalize about all the tiny desks, the tendency is to put the vocals front and center, which for her was really interesting because I felt like her accent is really is really more 
accent and affectation. It's, it seems so natural, which adds to her really earthy feeling. Her, her voice and intonation, uh, they're just hypnotic to the on the verge of being intoxicating. On, For example, the opener, Are You With Me Now? I thought that really drew in, draws in the listener. Kind of like a, a, a British a British siren on an island singing and saying, "Come to my concert," you know. Um, I I like I think concert. that's my favorite track there by far, just from the fact that I can like hear it. When you said that, I was like, "Oh yeah, that one." And I maybe that's just because uh, it has the most like standard chorus, and that it's just kind of like this phrase that you say again and again. I I actually really like those choruses, kind of when you have this simple phrase you repeat after your pretty verses, um, mm-hmm. and I think it might just be have the most simple format maybe that's why i'm the most attracted to it but i I really like that track these guys also remind me a lot of um the velvet underground who are hard Mm. to kind of hard hard to imitate with the i always think of the velvet underground as sounding like 50s pop music if it was played at 60 or 70 percent speed um (laughs) so that it has that kind of almost spooky or intense but still very poppy at the same time, which is hard to, hard to pull that off. Yeah. I found, uh, unlike most acts, that the songs here on, on her set were actually catchy. There's an, almost an earworm element to it. The sweep from her high range to her low range on No God is, is really nice. Check that part out when she just goes from her high to her low all in one. In two words, two short words at that, No God. And she just goes from high to low, and it's well, like, wow. <laughs> and maybe the, the the highest note ever sung on Tiny Desk to conclude uh, this one as well at the end. Was, well, spoiler alert! You know, yeah, they, wow. didn't, they didn't. They didn't. You know, they didn't have to go for that, but they did. So, you know, bonus, <laughs> bonus, <laughs> bonus points nice, there. Nice. Yes. On the on the last one, I thought her her guitar on Duke was uh, a little noisy and almost lost, like searching for what it wanted to play, which is different and uh, the vocals were somewhere between PJ Harvey and Stereo Lab which uh, very different are you know, obviously having elements of both of those which was interesting all right great so we've already started you off with mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. one of yours so tell us about the other three or four so I, I'll start with one that was my actually my favorite and that you guys probably didn't like is what I would guess I'm guessing Cornelius didn't didn't touch you in the in the the feely way um, electronic and detached and uh well japanese frankly so <laughs> yeah but let's i'm curious to yeah they didn't make a strong impression on me there's a kind of category of music that it, it's not that i disliked it it's just after four minutes i started doing something else and then almost forgot <laughs> you know forgot it was still still going so yeah they i found them very very mellow but i'm curious to uh to hear more I chose them in part because their lineup is a who's who supergroup of alternative Japanese rock. They've got Buffalo Daughters, Chibomato, and obviously and Pizzicato Five and Cornelius all together as as one. So it's just like it's it's an event. It's like these are everybody I ever wanted to see in concert from Japan, all in the same band. So there's that element. The, the description of the concert says it's you know it's rare that they do a U.S. tour. Some bands that I I only listen to of the seventy plus that I binged on, I only listened to bands that I'd heard of, really. So going against the grain of what you say that this is how you should be introduced to a band, I went with, because, I mean, otherwise you just, you know, how many thousands you'd have to listen to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just stuck with the ones that I knew, and this is one that I, this is a group that I always wanted to see live, and I probably never will. So that's really what 
what it was. And the songs themselves, as you mentioned, are, are they almost lull you into a uh, into I don't know, if not a, not definitely not a malaise. They're pleasant. I like electronic music more than probably either of you. So that this was the, one of the more electronic acts and and sets that I saw. So curious to hear more of whether you, you were it was just background music and you know did you started doing something else also. So then, okay, tell us more about okay go that. That one I found really clever and then obviously playing against the default expectations for Tiny Desk, or I guess we're, we're trusting they still recorded that, right? It wasn't just a music video. You know, it was only four minutes long, only one song. And that's the, those are the questions that I have about it. They really exploded and played with the format. And I think it was they actually timed it for when they were moving offices. So they documented right. the move from the yeah. old desk to the new one. And uh, so, yeah, it left me with a lot of questions of, uh, I mean, there was outtakes at the end. So uh, you can see that there things didn't always go as planned. And I think it introduces an element of chaos to what is normally a staid and very stable format where the guy gets you know clipped by a tree branch going on the truck and uh, some guy on the street starts <laughs> rapping while they're stuck in traffic those kinds of things and I, I have to wonder whether I really want to believe that the old man who wasn't feeling their music in the elevator I want to I want to believe that was real and not staged but uh, I just thought it was great that they had to stop playing for this business business suit guy to you know sigh and say Ugh, kids these days or something you know I was going to make the same comment. I was like, I could not tell if that was staged or not. It seemed a little too on point to be staged. Like, hmm. I, I almost feel like that dude would not be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to walk in this elevator and do this for this uh, music video thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just there's, I just feel like there's no way that was staged. I can't <laughs> fragment it in my brain, you know? Mm-hmm. As a band, I'm, I'm not super into their albums, but their music videos are always, a, a, you know, a really like a short film, basically. They're so, so very carefully, just so. And I don't know if you guys have seen their Rube Goldberg device uh, video, for example, All Things Pass or whatever. I don't think so. Yeah, but I found, you know, I kind of like imagining June 3rd, 2013, you know, maybe there was some negotiation between the NPR folks. When are you going to be in uh, Washington, D.C. midday? Oh, that won't work because we're moving offices that week. And then, no, it's the only one that works for us. We'll just figure something out, you know. <laughs> so, uh, given their uh, intensely complicated music videos, I would not be surprised if if they, if they said we're moving desks that day. You can't do it, and then they said, no, that's perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's exactly what we want to do in in in, in our video in our in our set which is only one song again. So, And how many takes did they do? I mean, yeah, a lot of very opposite direction of just, just totally uh, stitched together and uh, high-tech almost. But also playing in the back of a flatbed truck yeah. in the middle of the city is, is you know, interesting visuals. <laughs> yeah, so this one I thought was, was cute, it, but it, to me it almost seemed more like a, an ad for Tiny Desk more than for the band, since those guys only got to play one song. Yeah. And it was so much about, you know, taking down the stage, putting the stage back up. So I, I, I liked it. I, I didn't feel like it was a great introduction to the band. I felt like I liked it as a Tiny Desk fan, not more than as a exactly. or OK Go fan. Yeah, yeah exactly. I thought it was really visually interesting. I just I was going to ask you, I think you kind of already answered that if you're that into the band for more than just visuals. But then you kind of explain that you like how they have these complicated music videos. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's I, interesting. 
I think this is a video that I wouldn't introduce people to Tiny Desk for, but definitely for people who have seen, you know, dozens of them and they want something just, you know, oh, well, that's, you know, a different spin on the, it's definitely still a Tiny Desk, but it's, you know, very yeah. different <laughs> than the other ones. Check out their music videos. They're, they're, you know, even if you don't particularly like the music, the songs are like three minutes long and they're, who doesn't like a Rube Goldberg device? So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Which let's see which two you have left. Ila Bamba and Gogol Bordello. Which one do you which one do you want? Let's let's go with Ila Bamba first. I think that this is the only one that's all but one song is not in English. Uh, so a good Spanish practice for anybody out there who, who likes it. Uh, I think this was also also very different in that it was fast paced. Most of the sets are pretty mellow and these guys are really into like Ritmos Latinos and uh, they're full, a full band fully involved and they're they're dancing, you know. There, there are lots of tonal shifts in the, both the lyrics and the, uh, the music and there are lots of high notes where they're, you know, just like almost screaming and I felt that there were Afrobeat elements which is I wanted to choose some of the world acts but uh, you know kind of went back to my my safe zone but if uh, this kind of I would I would consider Ila Bamba to be a gateway band between rock and world music so it's not just rock and Espanol which is you know I, I find pretty boring uh, and it's definitely not also a, a vampire weekend psych simulacrum it's actually got some sabor to it they're actually they're they're from Portland, so it's a lot of some both people from Mexico originally, and then some some born in America as well. So it's a kind of it still sounds better to say Tex-Mex than Oramex, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, getting um, deep there. Yeah, they were they were they were catchy. Uh, I mean, I I would put them in the category of I didn't mind having them on, but then somehow I wandered around and started doing other stuff again. So hmm, interesting. Um, <laughs> we uh, we see a recurring theme not, here. Not offensive, but then not captivating either. Uh, me and my dad have this kind of same quirk of if we're not watching something we're obsessed with, we kind of have to get up and walk <laughs> once every twenty minutes because we get too anxious and sitting still. So I don't even. That's not a major offense to the band. That's just kind of our thing. It's <laughs> an audience specialty there. Okay. Dance it down. I so tell the, us about uh, Google Bordello. Um, yes, right. So if they you, are... if if you uh, grew grew some uh, facial hair, you bear more than a passing resemblance to the lead <laughs> to the lead singer. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment, but I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> he's a uh, he's definitely a colorful character. Look like him. <laughs> Just the That's nose, not- probably. Just the <laughs> nose. <laughs> my, my friends and family have all seen him live and have hung out with him in the after show. And he's just, you know, kind of a really salt of the earth guy, as, as comes across in the in the video. He's, uh, I think that anybody who, who comes into NPR's studios with, and I don't know if this is a change in the, the style of the office, but there, it really looked like people were working in this. Like there's CDs strewn about and people sitting at their desks. And there's this lady who has to get up when he sits down. She's really nice. Not feeling the music. These guys are musical terrorists that have taken an overworked office as musical hostages. What this is what happens sometimes when the uh, Eskimos and Google Bordellos uh, are on the schedule, rather than Lizzo or uh, Taylor Swift or Harry Styles. Just you know, you have to demand attention rather than just uh, show up and get it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They they want the audience to to participate, and the NPR audience just totally balks at it, and he, he calls them an impossible audience, etc on several occasions so it really feels like they're interrupting a work day for yeah. a dance party freak out jam and there's only a few that i watch that i would categorize as a freak out jam session and uh and, this is and definitely one of them hoping that they're a 
computer monitors don't get inadvertently kicked over yeah, or uh, it's, have, it's a uh, miracle. have, it's have a miracle. Uh, vodka spilled on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He was tiptoeing, tiptoeing down from the, from the desk, not tripping on any monitors was, was yeah. a small miracle. I found these guys pretty compelling. I don't, I don't know that I would choose to, to listen to them uh, of my own devices, but this one was really, uh, watchable they're they're charismatic all their their songs had that kind of common kind of roma roma folk music root but we're all but we're all pretty different and i'm also noticing a commonality with some of our picks where primary instrument is piano so she was drawn to some piano performers yeah. my primary instrument is guitar i was drawn to guitarists so i noted that you're the uh, accordionist of the bunch and that so you had a guy you one of your acts had an accordion in it as well so it's interesting that there's maybe some i wouldn't call it bias but just you know greater <laughs> knowledge greater knowledge of our own instruments yeah. That yeah, 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 yeah. No. there there was there was temptation to go all accordion for all five i, I will admit <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want to i didn't want to torture you so, so. Who, who, who were the other um i know uh astor piazzola has never done a tiny desk he's probably my <laughs> favorite accordionist or uh ben bandonionist to be uh, uh-huh. more precise but who, who are the <laughs> other accordionists that have made that have been on the tiny desk you know actually i don't think there has been a a that i've noticed and, and listeners can correct me in the comments if i'm wrong a, a single solo accordionist uh, i mean weird weird al has been on it but he left his accordion at home and uh, he wouldn't have been my choice anyway i think he's he's too poppy for me but uh no they're definitely more in an accompaniment supporting role in all of these and i think rightly so because who wants to hear an accordion on the radio because th- these are these aren't just these are actually broadcast on NPR without visuals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the you know the most offensive instrument other than bagpipes, I think, on the face of the earth. So, on the radio especially, it just just the the stage presence, which I think is important. You know, is is yeah. there for accordions, but is turn in terms of the sound, it's just got so much association with Lawrence Welk and easy listening and I don't know, yeah. um papa. Yeah, but then yeah. I don't know. I could see I could see the accordion making a making a comeback. It was popular before and it keeps threatening to do so yeah. but i have yet to see yeah. i have yet to see results where like you know you could actually make it as a pop star other than weird al again as a you know, solo solo accordionist who you know <laughs> where it's front and center oh those things okay those sound like what i think the harmonica thinks it sounds like <laughs> you know okay well, that's 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 positive <laughs> it, 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 it is nice. kind of like a deeper toned harmonica yeah, yeah um yes. it's the harmonicas weren't horrible and uh <laughs> you know I, I i quite like them i can't think of a song with it but i just know what they sound like and i like how they sound right she's uh, outing herself as uh, not having done sufficient research on google bordello but we'll let it slide for okay. well i i did sit there and watch it with you i okay. watched it on the tv next to you okay. oh my god speaking of tvs i think this is one where really the the old boxy mounted tv on the wall and the fluorescent lights and the the office tiles the dropped ceiling with asbestos tiles looking like things and he's just sitting there almost bumping his head on it and he's you know his his, his shirt is unbuttoned and he's sweating profusely in the midst of a you know a, a very productive professional office setting i think that the, the contrast there between the performance and the uh the scene is i think just the best of best of all and when when he's sitting down and playing and you can see the monitors in the background with email open and you know like conference software with rainbow colored labels and such office telephone with please hold for a minute and i, I just thought that was genius so yeah this was a this was a fun one yeah <laughs> that probably probably the one i mean 
obviously I'd rewatch Kate LeBond since that was an overlapping pick, but of your other four, I, this is the other one I would uh, be most likely to, to revisit. Yeah. I mean, just taking an office setting and, and devolving into total anarchy with alcohol. It's, it's something that I think every office worker fantasizes about. So I think there's uh, that element too, where it's realizing, you know, what if I could just do whatever I want in my office and, uh, not have to and let let you know really unbutton the shirt that's really that's really key i felt take off the tie in terms of other freak out jams i thought dan deacon did a similar job which another group that i'm sure you guys would both i don't know turn your noses up at or just be you know overwhelmed or not interested in but uh, definitely not boring and the did the uh, Br- british uh, rock group idols was on there as well okay mm, they're they're also pretty uh Pretty anarchic. Yeah, other, other examples. Uh, I've got uh, also uh, Dirty Three, the Sun Ra Orchestra, and the Comet is Coming. They're all just you know explosive in their performances. If that's if that's more recreating the live concert experience, which is not I think not necessarily what Tiny Desks are about, but if that's what you like in a concert, then check those ones out. Okay, so that's so. that's what I got. When do you guys think concerts will be allowed again? Probably. I sense uh, by the end of this year, there's probably going to be some sort of Thanksgiving, Christmas time around concerts. I don't know. I just, or maybe this, that, it's a little hopeful to think this summer concerts will be back. I think summer, summer could be back. Little, Not necessarily, maybe. you know, Outdoor, a anyway, yeah. get a thousand people, you know, I don't know if the festival will be back, but hopefully with the warm weather, there will be some outdoor Socially, socially distanced. Like I noticed Nick Cave, I think, has already canceled and rescheduled and then canceled and rescheduled twice now. So, yeah, who, who knows? What's your intel? My worry is that they won't because so many small venues have gone under and they didn't have an insurance policy. That's what Congress should be passing. It's uh, restaurants and concert venues should be getting, the, not the big corporations uh, to get political here, and the relief packages. The stimulus bills yeah. should go straight to them. Um, yes, I had a good good concert year heading into this one. I was just noting from May through January, I got to see Julia Jacqueline, Nick Lowe, Frankie Cosmos, Beach Bunny, thanks to DJ Karev's recommendation, uh-huh. and then uh, New, New Order as well. So I had a oh. good concert here, and then the New Order in January of last year was the was the last live show I've been to. How, how about you? What was your last notable live show that you've seen? Well, since I since I've been in Thailand, uh, there you know they, the international acts don't really make it to the Golden Triangle quite so frequently. So I, there was actually a really nice Thai reggae band from from near Phuket that I I, I saw at uh, a piece. And love festival in the middle of the night with bonfires and so forth that was a, that was really nice so the, the outdoor markets are there any live live music being played well, absolutely it's it's, it's uh, you know there's a there's a Thai cowboy band that does uh, John Denver and Elton John covers actually that, uh, in, in English in, Thai. in English, in English, but okay. with Thai accents, obviously. So they're they're novel, but I hear them every time when I go to get my fake meat on a stick. <laughs> okay, great. So. Yeah, I think in uh, U.S. is keeping things buttoned down enough. I think there's no no live music at the farmers markets. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's always there's always somebody with a guitar at least, but I wouldn't call no, it a not, concert. No, not. No, they've shut they've, they've shut down the solo guitarists. No. Wow. Well, I guess public health is kind of important. And, you know, we don't want to be hypocritical <laughs> about saying, well, if we want there to be public events and social gatherings, as long as it's for something we enjoy, it's okay. So, yeah. I mean, people are people are kind of dying, I guess, I hear. So. Yeah. 
unfortunate. Can I ask you both uh, what your criteria are overall for a good Tiny Desk concert? What makes a good one or a bad one? I think for me, you kind of have to go for the mellow stripped back vibe because I think that's the reason it was created, right? You kind of, it almost makes the Tiny Desk concert like meaningless if you're turning it into something that you do regularly, you know? So I think you have to follow the format, quote unquote. You can break it the way uh, your choice did kind of was breaking the format, but not in a way I found to be making the tiny desk not a tiny desk. You know, I think you kind of do need to go acoustic, probably, Mm. you know, and I think you have to choose songs that you know, you like, uh, overall, I, I really agree with my dad's point of someone is not, if they're choosing what they think their four best songs are, they're not, if all of them are bad, you probably do not like them. Right. So it is, you know, kind of a good test there. And I think it, it kind of has to be unique enough to the point where it's differentiated from every other acoustic performance. Like the Phoebe Bridgers one, I think I was kind of attracted how that background was changing. The Ben Folds one, I kind of liked a little different with how he just talks about it a lot, like a lot more talking breaks than some of the other people. And I just think make it your own, make it acoustic and have songs that are good, probably. But, you know, I don't have much of a criteria. In in quick response to that, I think for any format, it's important to establish the rules and then if not break them, at least to to play with them. And right. see and stretch them and go beyond, you know, to, to to see something new and novel. So yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I like I liked DJ Karev's criteria and then the, the one that we talked about before is just that that the performance is um is additive, that they're not, you know, just playing serviceable versions of the uh, album. The the ones I've gone back to I think I've gone back to partly because I maybe even prefer the arrangement and recording a tiny desk to the original. I'm drawn to those in particular as well. Yeah. So if you compared the ones that you have seen at live in person to the tiny desk versions, what would you say are uh, the pros and cons? I, I would actually say that the people I've seen that have been on, on tiny desk. Um, so I'm sure I'm missing people, but that would be Courtney Barnett, Eskimo. And then I've, I've seen the Walkmen and I've seen Nick Lowe. Lucinda Williams, we've yeah, seen we also, and I, I would say the Tiny Desk does a really good job of of capturing how that person plays live. Yeah, and I guess I'm noticing a commonality with the the people I'm listing off are kind of low budget enough with their touring that it's you know mm-hmm. they don't have pyrotechnics and hologram backup dancers and and mm-hmm. and that and that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I I would say in in a way there's not a huge difference. It does a a really good job of the the people that are you know more mellow or shy performers come off as such on tiny desk and then the people Mm -hmm. with more commanding stage presence do as well so um the sound quality maybe is better in in tiny desk because definitely uh, that you know mixed mixed perfectly but as as performers i think it it does a a really good straightforward job of of capturing in fact not only as dj karev was saying if they play their four best songs that should be an accurate gauge of whether you like them or not maybe better than playing the first four songs off of uh, their their recorded album. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be a good test of when live concerts come back. Do you want to you know devote four hours of your life to getting to the concert, <laughs> buying the ticket, uh, is, yeah. ro- rolling disturbing. the dice, rolling the dice with the opening group? So I, I think it's a good it's a good gauge of what they're like as live performers as well. 
Okay, I see that. And li- yeah, that live concerts do have that, you know, just being on demand. It's not, not something that's going to happen as we age. I'm not going to want to stay up past midnight every night to, to see someone I'm only kind of into. And oh, uh, yeah. To compare, to compare, I, I have also seen the Walkman live in Milwaukee, and they were they, they they couldn't stop complaining in between songs about how cold it was. So, <laughs> so how, and, about, uh, how about you? Are there are there uh, some of these performers that you've maybe not on your top five list, but just from other ones that you've seen that you've seen live and have some comparison? I could I, I could I could list them off. I mentioned Dan Deacon before being very much into audience participation. Really cool. I saw Elado Negro, which I think blew up after I saw them in uh, in New York City on the part of the CMJ concert there. Toro y Moi I saw in a bowling alley in Brooklyn, and uh, Sun Lux was part of the Celebrate Brooklyn thing with the live dancers and everything and uh, lots of instrumentation so those are just a few examples did their tiny desks admirably capture here i don't want to end on a negative note so we'll talk about something after this too but i i personally would still rather watch a music video and uh and also i wanted to ask you all have you seen any examples of tiny desks where after seeing them do you like the music less or that you just really didn't connect to them for a band that you liked for me i'll list a few this goes for a live concert too not just for tiny desks when you take a song that i like and your performance make makes me not like them and for me the examples of that for tiny desk were low kishibashi i didn't like the shins i didn't like ways blood yeah, for their tiny tiny desks yeah so, do um, you have any examples of that Sure, I can actually fill in that Ways Blood, I saw them open for Father John Misty. And you saw Father John Misty? Yeah, and there. He has been to so many concerts. And there. You should have to make concert history, not me. Oh my God. Another, another day, another day. We'll list them all up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, blood, they're they're shy performers. Yeah, so I thought the tiny desk captured that well. I mean, I would say you know Nick Lowe is someone who's he's probably in my you know top ten favorite recording artists. His tiny desk is nothing special, and I went to a concert of his, which was nice. But he's such a a mellow guy. I think the the subtleties of his recordings are are really where his art is. And I found that uh, a lot of Scottish pop groups, I I saw Bell and Sebastian live, Camera Obscura I've seen, and both of them, all of them were were just uh, so shy and mostly doing faithful versions of their performances. I'd put them in the category of their better recording artists than than performers. I guess partly tiny desks, you know, since I'm not paying for and driving to a concert, I think I tend to just kind of shut them off if I'm not captivated after a minute or two. I'm hunting for the good ones enough that I, I don't really sit with the ones that, that don't impress me. So no, there's... Is it polarized where you find most of them either really good that you want to not only listen to, but watch all the way through and maybe watch again, but also or versus those that you turn off or those that you use as background music is it uh, is there a clear division because i find it really hard to say which ones i like a lot and which ones i think are yeah that's interesting and most of yeah, them i would th- put in the middle range no i think there for me maybe it is a, kind of the opposite where i have my you know 10 or 20 that are clear favorites and then others that you know i've shut off after 30 seconds then never think about again so yeah interesting so it's just if it grabs you yeah yeah okay fair enough Fair enough. Okay. Well, I think, uh, you know, my own, my own criteria, yeah. As, as do I want to watch it again? And if very few of them, very few of them made me want to actually watch rather than, you know, multitask with it in the background, I will say. So it's a high standard maybe, but some of them do meet it. Concluding thoughts here. I think I've kind of talked a lot. 
hope it hope it didn't tire you out. <laughs> no, no, you, I'm you, good. You've been on stage, and uh, your 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 bookshelf there looks very much like an NPR bookshelf, except books yeah. instead of CDs. Yeah, but we've recently kind of changed this into the music studio. So here's the cool. guitar, the piano over there. This is why I need a church, but uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah.